Good morning and a warm welcome to you all to Ladywell Baptist Church and to our service of worship this Sunday morning. As we come to the beginning of a new week, there are a few things to mention to you uh, by way of notices. This uh, is the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday of each month, we celebrate communion together as best we're able to during lockdown. So we'll be doing that uh, at the end of our service. And so if you would like to participate in that, you maybe want to take the time uh, to look out some bread and something to drink so that we can celebrate communion together as a church family. Also, a reminder to you of our drop-in cafe at half past seven on Monday evenings and uh, our prayer meeting at half past seven on Wednesday evenings. Both of those are on Zoom. And also a reminder to you of something we mentioned last week, that we're going to be taking five weeks uh, to reflect on our experience of lockdown. And to that end, we're going to be sending out to you uh, a, a short reflection each week prepared by the Baptist Union And there will be a series of questions connected with that. And we would like you to take the time uh, to answer those questions and to send them back to us uh, if that is possible. I recognize that not everybody is um, internet ready and therefore this might be a bit more of a challenge for you. For those of you who do have the internet, we'll be, and we have your email address, we'll be sending you out copies uh, of these questions. If you're able to fill them out, Um, digitally and email them back to us, that would be great. If you can't, then what we would ask is that you read the reflection, you consider the questions and write down your answers and we'll arrange to gather those answers in uh, towards the end of those five weeks. Similarly, if you don't have an internet connection, we will get you a copy um, of these questions. And again, if you were able to fill them out and we will make arrangements to gather them all in. Um, for those in the church who aren't able to get online, uh, we'll either mail out or hand deliver copies of these questions. So everybody has them. Uh, we want as many people as possible to consider these, uh, these questions and to reflect on the experience of lockdown so that we can learn from the best of uh, what has happened over these months and be stronger as a fellowship as we look to the future. So um, you should be receiving these this coming week. And each week that goes by, there'll be another reflection and some questions. And at the end of the five weeks, we'll seek to gather in uh, all your responses. So be prepared to receive those. We also have coming up on Tuesday, the 14th of July, a question and answer session. We're going to put these on once a month. It's become clear to us over the last number of weeks and months that people have a whole variety of questions. Sometimes it relates to um, the pandemic and what part God has to play in all of this. Sometimes it has to do uh, with us as a Christian people and how we are to live in light of these days. Sometimes it's just questions that have bothered you for years and you've never really had uh, an answer that that, that you felt is uh, has satisfied you or, or you've struggled with a particular theological issue and and you just want some help. And so to that end, we'll have one Tuesday evening a month where you can send questions in and we'll put together, hopefully, helpful and coherent answers for you. And there'll be a chance uh, for you to to ask follow-up questions and for us to reflect on some of these questions as they come up. So we're going to do this on Zoom. At half past seven, our first session will be on Tuesday, the 14th of July. And so uh, it would be our desire that you send these questions in ahead of time. You can email, text, 
um, come onto the church Facebook page, or you can just phone me or uh, a deacon, someone else in the church who can feed these questions back to me. And our aim would be to put together answers or responses to these, and there'll be a chance for a bit of back and forth on Zoom, and we'll send out the information so you can connect in to that time uh, on Tuesday the 14th. If you'd like to know more about that, or if you have questions, please do just get in touch with us, and we'll seek to do the best we can uh, with the the time that's available to us. I can't promise you're going to get an answer that will necessarily satisfy all of your curiosity on an issue, but it's our desire that we want to help you and equip you uh, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and there'll be an opportunity for that each month. So, uh, a variety of things for you to consider this coming week, uh, but we do want to, to provide opportunities for you uh, to grow as disciples of Jesus, but for our whole fellowship to grow together. And so that is uh, what we'll be putting on over the next week, weeks and months as we journey together through this, uh, this time of lockdown. As we come to worship though this morning, we want to center ourselves on who we are, on what we're here to do, but more than that, who God is, for it is him that we worship. And we hear in Lamentations chapter 3 these words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. It's an opportunity for us to come together and to worship God in light of his steadfast love that never ceases. His mercies are new every single morning. He meets with us every day, blesses us, builds us up, forgives us, heals us, restores us, in every way walks with us through our days as we journey with him. Today's reading is from Titus, chapter 2. Verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's come together in prayer for our church and for our world. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come before you this morning as your children, overawed by your mercy, your steadfast love, your grace shown towards each one of us. And Lord, we recognize the very nature of that word is something we receive which is completely unmerited. We have not earned your love. We have not earned the steadfast love that never runs out. We have not earned your mercy, your provision for each one of us. And yet, Lord, you pour all these blessings into our lives without end, all unmerited and yet given generously by you. And so, Lord, we praise you for your goodness this morning. 
Lord God, we thank you that you walk with us individually through this time of lockdown. We all confess, Lord, our frustration at the isolation we've experienced. We want to be with our friends and family, and yet, Lord, we know you journey with us through this time. You build us up and sustain us and strengthen us every single day. And Lord, we confess as your children, were it not for your grace, we would have struggled far more than we have done. So we thank you, Lord, during this time of lockdown, that your grace is enough for us. Father God, we come before you and want to thank you for our fellowship here in Ladywell. We give you thanks for this church and for your mercy shown towards us all. Lord God, we lift our whole congregation before you this morning and ask that in your grace and mercy, you would bless this church. Father, we think of those in our fellowship who are struggling at this time. Lord, they feel the stress of isolation more keenly than others. And so, Lord, we ask that you would assure them of your presence. They would know your love in a particular way at this time. And Lord, as we look to the future, we ask that you would carry them through what is hopefully the final weeks and months of lockdown as we prepare to gather back together as this year moves towards um, its conclusion. Lord God, we pray especially for those uh, who are in care homes and nursing homes. Lord, we ask that you would be with them particularly at this time. Father, we ask that you would uh, build up those in our fellowship who are sick and who are struggling. Lord God, we also want to pray for the various organizations in our fellowship. We thank you so much for the way that so many groups in our church are continuing to meet, uh, albeit online. And Father, we thank you as well for those in our church who are phoning around our fellowship regularly, seeking to build up and encourage And Lord God, we ask that you would strengthen them. We give you thanks for so many loving and caring people in Ladywell Baptist Church and ask that they might experience that same love and care that they so generously pour out into the lives of others. Father God, we pray as well for our local community and we ask that you might, through this church, care and provide for the people of Ladywell. Lord God, may our church be a source of comfort and blessing to this people. And Heavenly Father, we ask more than anything else that we would be a source of uh, life-giving hope as we share the good news of the gospel to this people in this place, that Christ has come to be a perfect saviour. There is nothing they can do to earn his love but simply cast themselves upon Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would bless our local community in light of the grace that you have shown each one of us and challenge us to carry out into the world. Lord God, we pray for our wider world and particularly pray for those nations in this world that are experiencing uh, not a, a, a curtailing of coronavirus, but are seeing coronavirus um, seemingly without control, grow and spread across uh, their lands. Lord God, we ask that you would bless these lands with, uh, with wise leaders. And Father, you would pray, we would pray that where they do not have the necessary resources to combat this virus, that nations who are more wealthy, more affluent, more able to provide like our own, would bless them with what they need at this time. May we be generous even as we fight this illness. 
so that they who do not have the resources we have may also be able to see it come to an end in a timely manner and, Father, may not experience the worst that may happen as it um, spreads unchecked, as it will certainly do if things are not put in place. Lord, we think particularly of nations um, in Africa and across Asia where there are no hospitals. Lord, where the, the opportunity to socially distance is not possible because of the density of people packed in to urban areas. Lord God, we pray for these nations where there are a great many children living in abject poverty who uh, will not be cared for at this time should they become ill. Heavenly Father, we think particularly of people across our world who will be bereaved as a result of this illness. And Lord, we ask that you would meet with them at their time of loss and bless them with the knowledge of your presence and bring them comfort. We pray especially, Lord, for children who will be left without parents or without family to care for them. Lord God, may you be a great source of blessing in their lives. And Father, we pray that their own government, that missionary organizations and other aid agencies will be able to put things in place to see that they are cared for and are not left without hope in this world. Heavenly Father, we've seen so much on the news that gives us cause for fear or alarm, but we recognize in Christ we have a perfect and sufficient Savior who will not necessarily save us from all of the worries, the troubles of this world, but will hold us secure if we cast ourselves upon him so that sin cannot touch us. So that whatever happens in this life, we will be secure for eternity in his hands. That we can be free from the grip of sin. And Lord, even though we die, we'll be risen up to new life in him forever. Lord God, we ask that this hope would spread out into our world, to every nation. And Lord, as we look to our future, Lord, we ask that you would equip us as your church to that end, to see that work done, to see hope coming to a hopeless and darkened world. Lord God, we thank you for your grace towards each one of us and ask that we might carry news of that grace and love to our world that needs it most. And we ask it all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You will have seen over the last few days that we are moving into a new phase of lockdown. Our restrictions are becoming less and less. Our freedoms are being restored again. And we can see a day, perhaps in the not too distant future, where we will be able to go about life pretty well as normal. It's interesting to see uh, the way that all this is talked about by our politicians and by those in the media is very much a case of us digging ourselves out of this hole that we are in. It's a hole perhaps not of our own making. We have uh, had this virus uh, arrive in our country, in our world, and it has, um, it has resulted in all of these struggles that we have and through hard work and human ingenuity and effort we will dig ourselves out we will have ourselves restored back to the way things were before even if this virus continues to linger on in the population and every time there is an easing in restrictions we find that people take um, license with that and go and, and do way more than they were told they were allowed to 
And there's an outcry in the media about selfish people uh, not caring about their fellow citizens. And you can hear all the time in that language this idea that if we don't sort this problem out ourselves, then this virus will just run rampant over our whole country. Millions will die and, and the whole world will be thrown into chaos. This has been a story of us laboring hard to remedy our situation. And it's interesting because this is the human response to literally every adversity, every difficulty we face in life. It is always a case that we come across a problem or a problem is thrust upon us and through our effort, our strength, our resolve, our character, our cleverness or whatever it might be, we will find some way of digging ourselves out of the hole that we have found ourselves in. It's the natural human inclination. And as we've gone through Genesis in previous weeks, we've seen why this is the case, that the existence of sin in the world focuses us always inwardly on me, on who I am, and on what I am able to do as the Lord of my own life, as the master of my own destiny. The big problem we have with this um, is, of course, that there are really no problems that we can solve on our own, in our own strength. All of our strength, Scripture says, is given by God. Our cleverness, our ingenuity, our steadfastness, our resolve, whatever it might be, all come as gifts from God for His glory. And even as we look to the circumstances that we are in at the moment, where we might congratulate ourselves in, uh, in Scotland and in the UK that although the number of diagnoses of coronavirus and the number of deaths have caused have been appallingly high, through our effort, they haven't been as bad as it might have been. And yet we have to recognize we don't know how this virus spreads. We have some good ideas, but we don't know. We have no ability to control this virus. Even if we did develop a vaccine, it's not necessarily guaranteed to work in all people across the whole population. So the virus could continue to spread. Our lives are not controlled by our own power. We find that God sits over all and it is him who, lead us, who leads us through the circumstances we face. And as we look at our own situation, it acts as a timely reminder of how weak, of how powerless we actually are. We had no real ability to stop this virus. We didn't know where it comes from. We don't really know entirely what it does or how to stop it. And as we look at our uh, lives in a broader view today. We're reminded that this is the case in every area of your life. The Bible says that you have sinned against God, that from your birth you were turned away from God and towards living your life for yourself, for your own glory, for your own satisfaction. And the problem with that scripture says is that that way of life leads to death. We constantly live in the fear of death, don't we? It is a, a constant companion. Everything we do in this life is something to do with our desire to push away our, our fear of death, uh, old age, um, and all that comes with it. And yet there is nothing we can do to stop it. We are captivated, we are captured by a fear that we have no power or no control over. And Scripture says the only way for this to be dealt with is for you to be made right with God. And so our natural inclination as human beings, as men and women, young and old, is to dig ourselves out of the hole we find ourselves in. 
So we have a problem with sin. We've offended a holy God. And so what we will do is we will be really, really good. We will work really, really hard. We'll try and balance out all the bad things we do with all the good things we do. But here's the problem. What if we don't know how bad the bad things in our lives are? What if we don't know sometimes when we're doing things that offend God? How can we be balancing out those things? How can we work towards forgiveness for things we don't know we need to be forgiven for? And the most crucial question is how can we know we have done enough good to balance out the bad? The Bible says we can never know. In fact, the Bible says we can't ever do enough good to balance out the bad. We don't even really understand the full depths of the bad things we do, what scripture, the Bible calls sin. So what on earth do we do? If everything in us says we can dig ourselves out of this problem, and yet we find we can't, and this solution that we desire, freedom from sin and death and the fear of death that goes with it is everything to us, then what are we supposed to do? Well, as Christians, we believe in uh, salvation through Jesus Christ by grace alone. During the Protestant Reformation, the, the Reformers struggled with this idea of how we are forgiven. The, the Roman Catholic Church at the time, as it still does today, took the view that you are saved by the grace of God, that, that God freely sent Jesus to come and die and pay the price for all of the bad things that you have done on the cross. And so you can be forgiven. But the problem was that the view at the time and still today is that Christ's death on the cross was not enough in and of itself for you to be forgiven. You have to keep coming back and having Christ uh, re-crucified, as it were, re-presented on the cross again and again and again because his death 2,000 years ago was not enough as a single act for you to be forgiven. Added to that, your own works through that sacrifice of Jesus contribute to your salvation. So Jesus' death certainly enables you to be saved, but also all of the good work that you do is added to your account, accredited to your account, as it were, so that when God looks at you, he sees not just the work of Jesus, but all of the good things that you have also done. And the reformers in their time felt concerned about that. Because scripture seems to make it plain that this is not how salvation comes. That it is through Jesus' work and Jesus' work alone as the work of a holy and a righteous God. That alone is sufficient for our salvation. And so we find here in this passage that view coming through quite clearly as Paul writes to Timothy in the early, early days of the church. Paul says in chapter 2 of his letter to Timothy, picking up in verse 11, that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. And we find here Paul expressing this idea that nothing more than the grace of God is required for your salvation. It doesn't come down to your effort for you to be saved because you will never be able to do enough to balance out the things that you have done to offend a holy and a righteous 
God. God forgives us, we find in this passage, firstly because of his great mercy. God is rich and mercy and so sends his own son to die for a rebellious people who wanted nothing to do with him. Paul says that we, in light of the receiving this grace of God, this salvation given to us freely, we are trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Because that is entirely how we lived our lives before we knew Christ as our Savior. We lived ungodly lives. We wanted nothing to do with God to keep him distant from us because we abhor the idea of somebody else judging us for what we want to do. We lived according to worldly passions. We wanted to pursue pursue whatever our heart's desire was, regardless of what that might be, as long as it brought happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment to me right now, today. He goes on to say that we are to live in light of the salvation we've received from Jesus, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Because again, our natural inclination was to live the very opposite of that. Not upright as compared to God's law. Certainly not godly lives and not self-controlled lives where we discipline ourselves to live the way that God requires us to. We simply let ourselves live however we desire on any given day. No, Paul says, Nothing more than grace is required because God alone is the only one who is able to save you in his mercy. And so he sends Jesus, his own beloved son, to be our savior despite the fact we lived ungodly, worldly lives, uncontrolled, not upright in any way. Those people that we once were, were deserving of judgment and destruction. And yet, in spite of that, Paul goes on to say in verse 13, in receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, in placing all of our sins onto him and crying out to God for forgiveness, because of that gracious gift of God towards us, we now wait for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we find that we are given by the mercy of God this amazing gift. We are given godly and upright lives in the present age and we wait for this future blessed hope, everlasting life with God for all eternity, freedom from death and the fear of death that comes through sin. And this is given freely to us. This is what grace means, the free unmerited gift from one person to another, in this case from God to us. And it is completely perfect to forgive our sins and to give us this life. At no point in this passage does Paul ever say that in order to receive this blessed hope, then we must go and then live these um, perfect lives and cooperate with God. This is the grace of God that God has brought salvation to all people, he says in verse 11. It is a gift that he gives, not something that he kindles up within us. God forgives us our sins because of his great mercy. He forgives us our sins because of his great love towards us. The reason for God's mercy is the love that he has for all mankind. And Paul says that in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. 
Now, we recognize that not all people in this world know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Not all people will be saved. And yet we find in John chapter 3, for example, um, John recording the words of Jesus to the Pharisee Nicodemus saying that for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only begotten son, his one beloved son, that whoever believes in him should not die, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. God holds out salvation to a people who want nothing to do with him, to all kinds of people, to people of every tribe and tongue and nation in the world, to people from the very highest authority in the land, from presidents and kings and emperors, right down to the poorest homeless person starving in the street. God offers salvation for all people, all kinds of people in every part of our world because he loves this world that he has made. And this is how he expresses his love, Jesus says in John chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned. All of us in their family likewise sin all the time. We wanted nothing to do with God and yet God loved his creation and those he had created such that he sent his son to be our savior, to forgive our sin and to give us everlasting life. This is not some sappy, sentimental love where God simply can't help himself but help these poor, pitiful creatures. This is an active passionate love that God has to separate out a people for himself, for his own glory that we were created for in the first place. God forgives because of his great mercy, because of his great love, and ultimately because of his great glory. This is the reason that we are saved, that we receive this gracious gift. God forgives us graciously in such a way that we have no ability to lay claim to our own salvation. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you are saved by grace through faith and not that of your own. It was a gift of God so that none may boast. God gives us this gift so that he alone might be glorified in the salvation of a sinful people. Because if we contribute to our salvation, if we bring something of worth to the table, then God alone isn't responsible for our salvation. We are also responsible, and so we should receive some of that glory. And yet this is not what God does. We are dead, Paul says, in our trespasses and sins. We have no ability to affect our own salvation, to bring anything to the table, even if we wanted to, which we don't. And yet God intervening graciously in your life, in my life, saves us, transforms us, so that he alone receives the glory. It is for God's glory alone that you were saved. You benefit immeasurably in Christ because of the salvation that you have been given that changes your life, helps you renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age and wait for the blessed hope to come. And yet, it is all ultimately for God's glory. Paul says in verse 13 that we await this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The the glory that is that Jesus has being the Son of God, the Savior of a sinful people who wanted nothing to do with him. This is what Christ's glory is expressed in, his salvation. 
his salvific work, if I can put it that way, the salvation that he supplies to a people for his own everlasting glory. God isn't some insecure, preening hero that needs your praise or your thanks. God takes joy in your freedom from sin. God takes joy in living, in you living your life in a way that honors Him because it all expresses His goodness, His glory, His majesty. And if you are a being that is perfect in all of your attributes, it is only right that those beings you create recognize your perfection and, and um, reflect some of that glory back to you, express the, the, the awesomeness of that glory to you. We display with every breath we take that we are free from sin and that God is glorious because we were dead but are now alive. The challenge for us as Christians, as much as we might recognize this and say we believe it, is to actually live it out. The church in our day, as in the day of the reformers, when these ideas began to be um, formulated and expressed, going back to the words of Scripture that Paul wrote 1,400, 1,500 years before them, the view of the day is that we still contribute something to our salvation. We act this out quite often, and we express it even though we say we don't believe it. Within the church today, there is this view of um, what is in theological terms called prevenient grace. That is, God makes you savable. Jesus' work on the cross makes you savable, but doesn't actually save you. You must come and accept salvation. You must come and do something pleasing and honoring to God that activates, as it were, that salvation that Christ has provided. And yet this is not what Paul says. You have been freed from sin by God. You are and made aware of your sinfulness, your need for Christ, and then God presents before you your Savior and enables you to believe in him. That's Ephesians chapter 2. You've been saved by grace through faith, and it's not your faith that is the gracious gift of God so that you would glorify God and God alone for your salvation. And the way that we work this out in our lives today is by recognizing, firstly, that our salvation doesn't rest on anything that we have done, so there is no need for us to fear losing our salvation. A natural outcome of prevenient grace, of recognizing this idea that our salvation in some way rests upon something we do, is recognizing that if we've done something to bring salvation to us, then we can also do something that might push salvation away. That if we've done something pleasing to God that has affected our salvation, we might do something dishonoring to God at some point in the future that would result in the withdrawal of that salvation. And yet, if salvation comes by the grace of God alone, the only one able to take salvation away is God himself. And we find in this passage that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age for what? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is very much a fixed focus through this life to some future time that we are eagerly waiting for, and there is no hint that those who have received this salvation might not receive it. 
Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 6, that all those that are drawn by, uh, to him are drawn by the Father to the Son. That all those that the Father gives to the Son will be raised up on this last day that Paul is talking about in this passage today. That Jesus will lose none of those who are drawn by the Father. And so you can have complete confidence in your salvation, also glorifying God in that, knowing that you are not responsible for the the salvation that you have, the joy of knowing God that you experience each and every day, even though you're going to fail him, even though you're going to let him down. You're not going to always live uh, in godly ways, rejecting worldly passions. You're being trained to that end, Paul says, but you're not always going to get it right. But that won't result, that failure won't result in you being rejected by God. Because God's grace is sufficient alone for your salvation. Secondly, this means that God can save anyone when they come under the sound of the gospel. This is a huge encouragement to us that anybody in this world, no matter how hardened they may be to God, they want nothing to do with God, they want to hear nothing about God at all, is still nonetheless able to be saved by God because it doesn't come down to their willingness. It comes down to the power, the sufficiency of God's saving work. And if God's grace is sufficient for all people, regardless of where they've come from, it's sufficient for that person. And so I want to encourage you, if you have members of your family that you love dearly that aren't Christians, that have rejected the gospel, have rejected every time you've shared the gospel with them, want nothing to do with church, and maybe even very antagonistic towards these things. I want to encourage you that they are no less savable than you were, than anybody else is, because it comes down to the power of God, the grace of God, not their own merit. And so we are able to persist in sharing the gospel and to pray fervently for our loved ones, our family, our friends, our neighbors, the people of this community, wherever that may be for you today, knowing that God is able to save that individual if salvation comes not by works, but by grace alone. So we can go with confidence in this life, even for years, knowing that as we persist, this person may indeed be saved by God. And we can have confidence that the God of salvation is able to save this man, this woman, this child before us today. We find that the grace of God alone is sufficient for our salvation and that ultimately nothing more than grace is required. But we also see at the beginning of verse 14 um, in this chapter that nothing less than grace will do. This is the second difference that that having Jesus come as a gracious Savior means. That we are completely forgiven by his sacrifice on our behalf. So there is no need for additional work on our part to somehow top up the work of Jesus. In verse 14, uh, we read that we are, uh, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, from all lawlessness. As we read this, 
Paul is speaking very much to that tendency in each one of us to look at the sin in our lives and to feel the need to try and balance it up, to justify ourselves before God by proving we're not actually as bad as it may first appear. And this is part of our biggest problem, is that the more we think that way, the less we are likely to come and simply ask God for forgiveness because we feel we can balance up the bad with the good, and so don't need to receive the forgiveness of God by grace alone. But Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 59, says these words, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sin, your offense against God have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not here. God will have no part with sin. And so we are distant from him because of it. There is no way for us to make up the gap between us and God. It's not actually possible, even if we were so inclined to do that. Paul, in in this passage, encourages us that Christ, when he comes and gives himself for us, takes our place, pays for all our sinfulness, all our lawlessness. And we find him saying in Romans chapter 8 that because of that payment that that deals with all of our lawlessness, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There is a price for sin and it must be paid. And if we want to be free from it and have the hope of everlasting life, the only thing we can do is cast ourselves upon the mercy of God and in his grace, He will deal with our lawlessness. And the great blessing to us for that is in recognizing we are free from the treadmill of constantly trying to live a certain way in order to justify ourselves before God, recognizing we constantly fail. It's impossible for us to to work off our debt of sin because we constantly sin all the more we try. And so we simply add more to the burden of debt, as we've thought in previous weeks. We are able to experience true freedom from slavery to sin. So why would we ever try and go back to this other way where we work constantly to try and justify ourselves? Jesus has done it because nothing less than grace will do. Our own work is not sufficient. So that frees you to use all of the blessings God has given for his glory, to speak of the riches of his grace, to go into the world and to share the gospel with other people because you're not constantly trying to deal with all your own sins. They're done and gone. The penalty has been paid. You can now live all of your life for the glory of God. It's great freedom so that we might be, as Paul says, following on in verse 14, a people purified for himself, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And that leads us on to the last thing we see in this passage, that nothing more than grace 
is required. Nothing less than grace will do. And in response, nothing other than our whole lives must be given to God as a result. We are free from needing to bring about our own salvation. We're not able to. We are free from trying to justify ourselves before God. We can't. And so what we are now able to do is give ourselves wholly over to God so that we might labor for his glory. The salvation we receive by God's grace realigns us with our created purpose. In the beginning, man and woman were created for the glory of God in the world to reflect back the glory of God to him. That's why we were made. And Paul says that is exactly what happens to us after we are saved. That we receive training to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, always viewing the age to come to lead us on so that we might be purified and a people set apart for God, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And those good works are the work of spreading the gospel in the world that other people might hear of the salvation we so richly enjoy, the grace that we have experienced and might also be transformed, that God's kingdom might grow, it might spread, that God might be worshipped more and more abundantly by us, his people, set apart from the world for that end. Nothing other than our whole lives must be given in the response we have to grace, because there is nothing else for us in this life save living for the glory of God in light of the grace that we have received. We are completely realigned, turned around, transformed from the old way of life to this new way. If salvation is not by grace alone, we will constantly be trying to show God how good we are. to to build up our own lives, to build our own little kingdoms, our own little empires of influence and love where people will love us instead of giving out all the time, we will be completely focused on receiving. But because we've been saved by grace freely without deserving anything, we are now able to live freely for God, loving others, forgiving others, blessing others, constantly giving out as God has constantly given out to each one of us. God blesses us in a million different ways every single day, not so that we can use the blessings of God to somehow um, pick us up, pull us up by our own bootstraps, justify us before God. Not simply so that we can receive all these blessings and simply enjoy them for their own sake, for our sake, but so that we might use them to reflect the glory of God. And as we receive salvation by grace alone, we find that we are made able to see all of the blessings of our lives in that light and then go and actually live out that purpose that God has for us. It changes us from a church who worries about um, catering to our own desires to being a people who can live in open-handed generosity with the community around us. It frees us up to live with abandon for the purpose of, of worship and witnessing to him, knowing that we don't need um, to, to, har- and to, to, to harvest up, to store up the blessings of God so that we will have enough for tomorrow. We can live generously knowing God will constantly supply our needs so that we are able to use all the things we have for the glory of God in this place that God has put us. 
It means that we can devote ourselves to living for God. Because this is what he desires more than anything else. A people for his own possession. Paul closes out this little section by saying to Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is how important this is. It defines who you are as a Christian man or woman, young or old. You have been saved by grace alone through Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf. So go and live in light of the glory of the grace of God our Father, delivered through Jesus Christ our Lord, that you might glorify God and enjoy him, not just now in this present age, but also on into eternity future. Amen. We're going to come together around a table in celebration of communion in this time. Communion is an opportunity for Christians, those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, to uh, remember Christ's death and resurrection uh, through these symbols, this bread and this cup that are before us this morning. If you are not a Christian or you don't know if you are, I would encourage you not to participate in this time. But if you would like to know more about it, please do get in touch with us. But if you do know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and you would like to share with us in this time, whether you're a member of Lady Well Baptist Church or not, we would encourage you to celebrate in remembrance of the death and resurrection of Jesus on all our behalf. As we come to this time, we hear these words from 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love that he, Christ, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. As we come to the table together this morning, we look at the bread and see the broken body of Jesus, broken on our behalf, taking the wrath of God, the punishment for all of our sins that we committed willingly against a holy God in defiance of all he is and all he's called us to be. As we see the cup, we remember Christ's blood shed on our behalf, cleansing us from all sins so that we can go into life this coming week as a holy, a righteous people, not having any of our sins counted against us but also made ready to worship and serve God in our lives. Let's come together in prayer at the beginning of this time and prepare our hearts to eat together and drink together in remembrance of the grace of God that has so adequately saved us and prepared us for life this coming week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we look on these elements, this bread and this cup, we remember the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who did everything necessary for us to be forgiven for our sins. Lord, to be made right with you and for us to know you and love you and serve you and worship you in a way that is pleasing to you. Lord God, we thank you for this bread. And we ask that in our eating of it together as a family, we would remember Christ's body broken on the cross when it should have been us. We thank you, Lord, that in his willing death, we have our penalty placed on his shoulders and so are free from death. 
Lord God, we thank you as we look upon this cup that we see Christ's blood shed for us, that we might be sprinkled by it and made clean, as the writer of Hebrews says, that we would be made ready for a life of service and a life of worship of you. Lord God, we thank you that there is now no condemnation for those of us who have been cleaned by the blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask in our remembrance this morning that you would have us give thanks to you, but also have us made ready to go out into this world, to go on worshipping you and witnessing to you with everything we have and everything we are. Lord God, we thank you for this time together around the table. May our remembrance of Christ serve to spur us on this coming week. And we ask it all in our Saviour's perfect, precious and holy name. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We'll eat the bread together in remembrance of Christ's death on our behalf. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup together in remembrance of Christ's blood shed for us. Let's pray together and give thanks to God for his goodness to us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord God, we ask that in making us aware through this remembrance of your love expressed towards us who did not deserve it, we pray that you would send us out into the world remembering it constantly always praising you, always giving thanks to you for your goodness to us, but always telling others of your grace and mercy towards us. Lord God, we pray that you would bless not only us through this remembrance, but our community and our whole world. And Lord, we ask it all in our Savior's precious name. Amen. As we draw our service of worship to a close, may you go into the coming week knowing the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this week and forevermore. Amen.